As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Hello, I'm Jessica Barron, Vice President of Executive Search for Centennial Inc., and your host for the Talent Magnet Institute podcast today. So welcome. So we have, as usual, really interesting and strong leaders to share their stories with you, and today is certainly no exception. I am here with Kristen Schlottman, who has been bringing Hollywood to Cincinnati for the last 22 years with Film Cincinnati, and in the process has brought hundreds of jobs and millions of dollars to the Cincinnati local economy. So those of you who are listening, not only in Cincinnati, but around the world, listen up. This is really something that can be really useful for you. So we're going to go back and step back a little bit before we get into Film Cincinnati and talk about how Kristen got to this point. Did you always know that you wanted to be the executive director of Film Cincinnati. How did that happen? Well, I will tell you, I grew up in Cincinnati and went to elementary and high school here. And I found myself on a film set at a young age, probably a preteen. And it was an ABC after-school special called The Pride of Jesse Hallam that starred Johnny Cash. And I remember standing there as an extra, not even knowing who Johnny Cash was at the time, and saying, I don't know what these people are all doing around me, but I want to be one of them when I grow up. I was fascinated more so about the people behind the camera than the people in front. And I found the entire mechanism interesting and detailed and curious. And I went on to study some theater in high school. And I remember, I was reminded, I don't remember this. I was reminded recently by a good friend of mine who said, do you remember in 10th grade when you told me you're going to run a major film office for a city someday? I said, I never said that. He said, yes, you did. Because how else would I remember that? And so I don't know. I knew there was something innate inside of me that wanted to be a part of production and the ever-changing part of this industry. But here I am, 22 years into it. And maybe I knew, but I certainly didn't know what it all entailed. And that's what I find most exciting now. That's for sure. And also to go back to after that high school experience, that at Miami University, I see you majored in speech and communications with a minor in theater. Now, many people will say, I didn't use anything for my college degree. What about you? Did you use anything? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I switched majors. I had started in speech pathology and audiology. And I thought I could be a dialect coach someday and still work in theater, but not have to be out on the stage. And after training at Miami in the speech and hearing clinics and teaching little kids how to say R, I thought this is not for me. So I generalized and went into speech communications. And honestly, looking back, I use every single thing I learned in college. And you have to pivot quickly in our industry. You have to be able to talk to all sorts of people effectively. And I think just the entire college experience prepared me for what I'm doing today. And I think that major ultimately did guide me, but I think most majors could have, but I certainly am appreciative of it now. 
You told me a cute story about your daughters, too. You have two daughters, and one daughter who had some interest in being an extra in the last film. So we're passing that mantle on. Why don't you share with our listeners her experience? I think any working parent wants to sort of share with their children where they are when they're not at home. And the film industry causes tremendous hours all at once, and then there'll be a lull. And during those very busy hours, you miss your kids terribly, and they miss you. And so I wanted to be able to share with her what happens on a movie set, where mom is every day. And I brought her to set and invited her to go through wardrobe and makeup and sort of experience the behind the scenes. And then we were shooting a children's scene in a library. And I said, do you want to be part of this scene? And she said, yeah, I'll try it. And she sat down. And three hours later, we got the scene. And she said, that was so boring. And I said, and you looked incredibly bored. You were perfect for the role. And, you know, now she has an appreciation for where I am and what we're doing. And I remember as the movie just recently came out to the screen, she asked me, she said, do extras get a credit at the end of the movie? And I sadly told her, no, they do not. And she just walked away with her head down and she said, that is tragic. And so <laughs> she's definitely meant for this industry. Yeah. And she's meant in front of the camera, I think. <laughs> Another story of my own experience is that my husband was very taken with Kristen when he met her. And you were filming another film that required some extras. And so he also had the film bug and wanted to be an extra. So he packed up his little bag and his little hat and all the things that he was told to carry. And he went onto the set and he came back that night. I said, well, how was it? I was all excited. And he says, I didn't even get on camera. (laughs) They didn't need me. I said, that's why they call you an extra. So he always has that memory. And much like your daughter, it's a longer process. People see it as way more romantic. I think. Absolutely. I mean, the film industry has always been sort of this sexy industry. And I think once people realize what goes on behind it and all of the people that are working it that are not famous or on the magazine covers sort of have an appreciation for it. It's like any other job. It's a job and it's grueling and it takes patience and work ethic and it's not glamorous. And certainly it's exciting when the movie comes out and you see if the whole project worked and if audience will receive it the way you hope they do. But like anything, it's a job. Okay, let's get back to that job now and talk a little bit about Film Cincinnati. And I started off by saying Hollywood to Cincinnati and millions of dollars and hundreds of jobs. Tell us a little bit about Film Cincinnati, where it started, how it's evolved, and where we are now. Film Cincinnati is a 32-year-old 501c3 not-for-profit. It was founded by a woman named Lori Holiday in 1987 and incorporated in 1991 as a 501c3. We were founded based on the needs of showing producers around that were scouting for a film called Rain Man ever so long ago. And they had called the state of Ohio and asked for people in Cincinnati who were available to show them around. And Lori Holiday worked tirelessly on that film. And that is still, in my opinion, the most iconic film that has ever come to Cincinnati, most memorable, once on screen. But that is what ignited the need for this film office. And the film office has a very simple mission to attract, promote, and cultivate production in the greater area because of the jobs and dollars it creates. It's an economic impact agency. It is developing economics for the community. And 
There was a long time there where in the late 80s and 90s, Lori had a lot of success because what she realized back then was that Cincinnati had one of the largest concentrations of Italianate architecture, and she was able to appeal that neighborhood, which is over the Rhine for those in Cincinnati. She was able to appeal to a director, John Sayles, that we had this here, and Cincinnati was able to do period films better than the areas that they were currently written for. So you saw in the late 80s and 90s Cincinnati bloom in the film industry with films like Eight Men Out, Lost in Yonkers, Rage in Harlem, all of these New York pictures that were period films, but they were done right here in Cincinnati. And that's really what got us a name in this industry and sort of started this trajectory to where we are today. So that's sort of the history of it. I don't think I'll forget The Rain Man, which of course I saw. And in fact, we are in our studio at the Talent Magnet Institute is within walking distance of Pompilio's, which was one of the scenes in Rain Man. And so those are the moments, as you say, the iconic moments that you do remember. I know. It's my goal to have another one of those. (laughs) You know, I was 11 when that was filmed, and it's time that we have another one of those films that we can all relate to 30 years later. Yes, that's great. I'll be looking forward to that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the financial foundation of this industry. Film Cincinnati is a not-for-profit, and yet you're working with a lot of for-profit organizations. How does that work? How do you develop an opportunity for Film Cincinnati that will have all those employees that will attract the directors and most important to get the financial undercurrent for it. Yeah, it's complicated, but we can simplify it. Uh, Film Cincinnati's budget is a modest budget that operates annually. And our mission, like I said, is to create opportunities for the community with these types of film and industry positions that are available to them. So what we do with our budget is market the city of Cincinnati to the film and television industries so that they would choose this as a direct location to spend their money and hire locals. And the way we're able to do that now is incentives. Incentives are what is driving the business all across the world. In the late 80s and 90s, the loudest voice on a movie set was the director, whereas today, the loudest voice on a movie initially is the producer, and it's more about the business deal than the creative deal. So movies will look for where they can get the most value, the most screen value for their dollar, and that's where they'll try and package their deal and see if they can feasibly accomplish what they're setting out to do. So in the late 80s and 90s, everyone's chasing locations. That changes in the mid-90s to late 90s, where places like Canada had a great exchange rate on the American dollar, but also they started applying incentives for you to come there to spend. And the more money you spent there and the more Canadians you employed, the more money you would get back for those productions. So you were seeing you get a dollar and a half on the dollar if you were to take your project to Canada. And places like Toronto and Quebec had similar locations and similar feels, and you could accomplish many wonderful projects up there. And I remember in the late 90s and early 2000s, watching the Pete Rose story go to Canada, watching Cincinnati stories that were made for our city shooting in Canada. And after Canada succeeded, other places in the world took notice. And places like the Czech Republic, 
places like New Zealand, also set out with very aggressive incentives and started seeing projects not just come for once, but they were recruiting trilogies, like New Zealand anchored Lord of the Rings. And that's what ignited this chasing incentives. Ohio and Kentucky were the 42nd and 43rd U.S. states to adopt motion picture incentives. But what I'm really proud about is that we took our time, and we might be a little bit late out of the gate, but we put in place a program that's sustainable, which many states didn't do. And that's what is driving the business now in Ohio. Ohio has one of the most sustainable and thoughtful film incentive programs to date. And that's why we are most recently voted in the top 10 cities worldwide as a place to live and work in the film industry. And as you shared with me on the telephone, that nothing stays the same. And in fact, that's changing that those incentives are not a permanent entitlement or opportunity. How has that changed? Well, I think when a state adopts motion picture incentives or tax credits of any kind, they are going to be the priority of the leadership at that moment. And when new administrations come into office or priorities shift, they always will go under discussion or scrutiny. Most recently, Ohio was just proposed, because we are getting ready for our next biennial budget, and there was the Speaker of the House of Representatives who came out with their budget and wanted to cut six tax credits for the state of Ohio, and that included the motion picture tax credit. So now it's not necessarily a moment to panic, but it's a moment to react and find out why, and then make sure that the legislators are aware of the return on investment. And I think once people become educated with the direct return, it makes a case for itself. For example, when we started this program, the first biennial budget, we gave away $10 million a year as a state. Meaning if you came into the state of Ohio, you could spend at least $300,000 up to $5 million, and we would rebate 25% of the expenditures we deem eligible. And we would do 35% on every Ohioan you employed, which would allow us to build a crew base here locally and get local people trained. In that first biennial budget, for every dollar the state invested in the program, $1.20 was returned of direct impact by the UC Economic Center's reporting. So a 20% return was an easy argument to legislators. So we went back to the Ohio General Assembly and said, look, for every dollar, you're getting a 20% return. If you double this program, we know we can do better, and we will have more regular work for locals, and these will be the equivalent of full-time jobs for people. So they doubled it, without question. And when we went through the next biennial budget for that $20 million a year, every dollar the state was investing, $2.10 was returning on their investment. So they agreed, again, this is good business for the state of Ohio. This is money we would not receive otherwise. And it's not only cost neutral, it's paying for itself. So this is good business. So we went back to them and said, well, let's double it again. And then we could anchor larger projects, longer projects. Perhaps we'd be able to get an HBO series, not just a major motion picture, which is longer work for local people. And we were able to do that. And we just wrapped that biennial budget at $40 million a year. 
And for every dollar the state invested at this time, $3.40 are coming back into the state economy. So the math is there. There's no formula. It's a direct impact. And once you make legislators aware of that, then they say, okay, this isn't money we're throwing out and not coming back. And so it's just an exercise of making sure everyone's aware of what this program is doing for us internally as a state. And that seems perfectly clear. So why are we running into a problem now with the legislature trying to Well, I don't know that it's a problem yet. There's an individual that wanted to cut six tax credit programs to pay for the income tax. And that's one person, and that's one body of our legislation. And then the Senate will come out with theirs, and then people will have time to discuss these things. And we will hopefully educate them that this program is not only paying for itself, but is a benefit to the state of Ohio. But I think anytime you have a new leader or a new person in a leadership role, if they're not familiar with it or it's not priority to them at the moment, then they have to make decisions quickly and they have to make cuts quickly. And these things will happen inevitably in any state or any place of the world as leadership changes, priorities will shift. But I think as long as you can pivot quickly enough to make sure that they have the information needed, then I think your programs not only become sustainable, but they also grow in a thoughtful pace that makes the state comfortable also with what's outputting and what's incoming, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And in fact, you shared with me that this could be an opportunity to look at how it's structured and to see if there's a a more logical or more comfortable way. Absolutely. I think anytime you implement any program, you're going to learn along the way. And we have learned a lot as a state in the last six years, and we can make that program even better. You know, just minor tweaks to our language and our rules and our regulations. For instance, right now, if you apply for our state tax credit, You have 30 days to pay your fee that says you're committed to this letter of determination from the state, and then you have 90 days to be up and running. And right now, there's no expiration on that program. So one of the things we think that would help is if you're not up and running within a certain amount of time, then that money, that letter of determination and allocation we've promised goes back into the pool and you have to reapply. And that will allow us to not have projects sitting in a queue on money and keeping people out of work or turning work to other states because these projects are sitting there and not getting off the ground. And unfortunately, in our industry, there has to be a lot of stars to align to get you greenlit. And if your lead actor suddenly becomes pregnant with twins and they postpone that, then we want to know that that money can go back into the queue until they're ready to be off the ground and running again. And so just tweaks like that to the current language, which will make it a better, more efficient program, I think will also give legislators more confidence in our abilities. So listen up, leaders. Kristen is sharing how flexible you need to be and how you need to look at the changes and how things evolve in order to stay not only relevant, but effective in what you're doing. And I think that that, especially in the film industry, is important because it moves so quickly. I started to snap my hands, but I don't think that people would like to hear that in the microphone. We've gotten into the underpinnings, and now I understand so much more about the business and how that works, both politically and financially. There is sort of a fun aspect of your job, and that's the part that may be more visible, not necessarily how you get it, but all of the fun stars that you've gotten to work with. Any fun stories that you can tell us? <laughs> There's, I'm so passionate about 
two things. One is Cincinnati and the second is the film industry in no particular order. But to be able to wake up and do this job in Cincinnati is so exciting. And yes, we've been so incredibly fortunate to have such amazing talent and not just the actors and actresses, but the directors that have come to town. For example, we worked with Don Cheadle on his directorial debut in a film called Miles Ahead. And he was both starring as Miles Davis, but he was also first time directing. And just the amount of talent that is bundled into that individual that came out for all of us here in Cincinnati. It raised our game. It raised our strengths. It excited us in many ways. It was really fantastic. And then to work with a director like Todd Haynes, who really sort of, I think, was one of the key projects that sent us on this trajectory to becoming one of the top 10 cities worldwide for film production, because it was his faith in us and his creative determination and decision-making that chose Cincinnati, but not just Cincinnati. He also chose the talent here in Cincinnati. And one of the things I love about the film Carol is every single person you see on screen is local aside from six faces. And those six faces were incredible faces to be associated with. Kate Blanchett, I remember saying to me on the last day, and, and I can't do a British accent, but I'll try. But she said, you know, I wasn't very excited when I learned it was Cincinnati, Ohio. And now I can't believe how much I'm going to miss it. And she and her husband, our three boys, were out in our city every day when they weren't on set. And they were in the Contemporary Arts Center, and they were at the Playhouse, and they were at the Aronoff, and they were in our restaurants, and they had such a marvelous time. And she said, I can't wait to come back here. And, you know, those of us that live here and are from here and have such a passion for it, we know that. But it's always exciting when you're able to share that with someone and see that they have a similar affinity you know, I also remember, and this is one of my favorite stories, is taking you and McGregor to a Cincinnati Reds game with my husband. And I remember we got to about the fourth inning, and my husband looked at me and said, are you going to say anything? And I go, I can't. I'm too nervous. He's just such a dream. <laughs> and I couldn't even speak. And my husband said, all right, then I'll do the talking, and I'll explain the game of baseball. And it was his first Major League Baseball game. And we ended up taking him to a total of three over that film. And now his team is the Cincinnati Reds. So, I mean, there's so many stories. And we've been so lucky to have such amazing people like George Clooney and Ryan Gosling. And recently we just worked with Mark Ruffalo, who could be one of my most favorite professionals in our industry ever. He was so gracious and kind and made sure he not only got to know your city, but also give back to the city that he was working in. And we've been really, really lucky. I'm glad you mentioned the give back because when you mentioned Don Cheadle, I was working at the Cincinnati Chamber at the time, and he came to talk to our leadership class. And the excitement was so palpable. It was just wonderful knowing that this is a person who's really accomplished a lot, and he's sharing these leadership lessons with the top leaders in our community. And I think that was the year you were in leadership Cincinnati, was, of yeah. all things. <laughs> just Yeah, to be able to share people like that with the community, one of the things Mark Ruffalo did when he was in town was he taught a class at the School of Creative and Performing Arts. He went and visited high school students. He immersed himself into part of our culture and gave back in a way that was just unbelievable. And Todd Haynes has been willing to speak. Christine Vachon, who is one of the 
more notable indie filmmakers of our time and is incredible, did a speech for us at the Aronoff for students and filmmakers and community members. And it's great once they're here working to see them also contributing to our arts and culture and community. And I think that's another just a perk of the job to be able to share that with the people we live with. Well, one of the perks that I experienced was I live in New York and back in Cincinnati pretty regularly, but I happened to notice that at the 92nd Street Y, there was a preview of the movie The Public, which is one of the more recent films that have been here. And so we went, my husband and I went, and then there was a discussion afterward with Emilia Estevez, who was not only the director, but also in the film, and Alec Baldwin, who is always fun. I mean, he's our New York quipster. I mean, he's just he's so bright and funny and controversial at times, but an excellent, excellent actor, as we all know. And Bob and I, my husband and I, are sitting in this audience of hundreds and hundreds of people and watching this film unfold in the Cincinnati Public Library. And we are cheering it on. And there's La Rosa's pizza and there's Grater's ice cream and all the things that we remember so fondly of it when we lived here. And we were cheering so loud that people in our row were just looking at us. And you told me that Amelia, and both afterward in the discussion, both Amelia and Alec were so complimentary about not only the film commission, but also Cincinnati and the government of Cincinnati and the business community of Cincinnati, that it made me feel really proud. And you actually expressed that one of your really your proudest moments is when not only do they love Cincinnati, but they come back to Cincinnati. They do every single film company, either the director or producer or a piece of that company that has been here to create a project has returned for a second, third, and most recently on the Mark Ruffalo film, a fifth time in Cincinnati. So I say to those legislators who feel like they're giving money away to Hollywood and then they're never coming back. No, they're investing in their communities. They're not only just coming back, they're staying here. On the film The Public that you mentioned, there was a world-renowned cinematographer whose name is Juan Miasparos, who worked with Emilio on a film called The Way. And they shot that film about the pilgrimage on the Camino between France and Spain. And Juan Mi had moved his family to Brooklyn, New York, and was living there and working all over the world and was available to work and shoot on the public with Emilio, so it would be his second project, and came to Cincinnati and about halfway through the film looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, I think I've found my home and I need you to help me convince my wife and children. And I said, absolutely. And he said, do you have a Waldorf school here? So I, we met the wife and children on a visit. They came, we toured the Waldorf. We looked at rental properties for Share them. Share with me, what is the Waldorf school? I don't... The Waldorf school, it's a school that's all over the country. It's an annex school that um, has its own curriculum of learning and it's a great school. And Cincinnati does have its own chapter of a Waldorf school and so he came and he toured the school and it was exactly the same curriculum in the New York one. It was just a different location and a different price, if you will. And he ended up moving his whole family. And just last year, they bought a home and it's their dream house and they're living here. And our bench is now getting deeper. You have now a world-renowned cinematographer. But then just you know a few months after that, 
Emilio said, you know, I want to buy property. I want to call Cincinnati my home. And he also invested here and bought a home here and considers Cincinnati now his residence. And so you're starting to see people not just moving here for the industry, but then they're staying here. And so it's exciting to me to see that we're attracting talent all over the world, but we're also retaining young talent that is now graduating from our universities and colleges, and they're staying here to work in the industry, and they're moving up through the industry quicker than if they were out on one of the coasts and one of many, they are not as experiencing the same opportunities as they are here. There was a young woman who was a Miami University student who was graduating and phoned me just on the perfect day. And she said, I've just graduated. I want to work in film and I'm willing to do anything. And I said, well, that's amazing. I just had someone quit today on the film Carol. And I would love the opportunity to share that with someone. But I have to tell you, they quit because they realized the script was about homosexuality. And she said, you know what? I'm a gay woman. I can't wait to dive in. And she is now, this just three years later, one of our leading location people in the community. And that trajectory is a very quick trajectory. But it's one of the most exciting stories to see people move up quickly and take the reins here. And we're keeping young people here. And that, to me, is incredibly exciting. Well, you're speaking my language because I spent years at the Cincinnati Regional Chamber, and we worked with the largest and most influential companies here in order to retain talent. Cincinnati punches way above its weight culturally. I think that's part of the conversation we're having here. And it also is very cost-effective to live here. So it's not really, and I can tell you that because I live in New York now. In Cincinnati, you get a lot for the investment in your lifestyle. And so we are finding that young people, when they come here, like it. And it doesn't hurt that it's got a little cachet that there are people like Emilio and this director and others that are making it a more interesting place to be as well. So I get that, and that is one of the byproducts that we probably you probably didn't anticipate early on. I didn't, and when I meet people in the community or I've been asked to speak to certain organizations, I'm often told we think this is something that makes the community better. This is whether it's a cool factor or whether it's an exciting factor or whether it's just a sense of pride to see the community in which you're working up on the big screen or headlining the Cannes Film Festival or the Sundance Film Festival and giving you a sense of pride back and giving you a conversation with some of your colleagues or networks throughout the country or throughout the world. And it's a common conversation that you could have, or did you see this? And that to me is so incredibly exciting. And as well as now you're saying we're ahead culturally here, or we fight above our weight. And in that respect, I want to say, isn't it sort of, I would say about time, but I won't say that, but I find it purposeful and wonderful to hear that now when people speak of the arts and culture in Cincinnati, for so long it was the opera, it was the symphony, it was the ballet, and now film is part of that fabric. And it's not going away anytime soon. And I truly believe that we are on our way to being a world-class destination for all things production. And that is part of what we talked about a little earlier is that flexibility because the founders of the ballet, the founders of the opera and the symphony, they were the film Cincinnati of their time. Those were new to Cincinnati. They were the ones that made it happen. And 
I have seen some pretty creative stuff and some collaborations that make a lot of sense. And so it doesn't have to be either or. And I think that it's been going on for a long time, as we've discussed, but not maybe not recognized right. as much. When we went to see The Public, the most recent one that I saw a movie about Cincinnati in New York, I've posted it on Facebook, of course. <laughs> and one of my daughter's friends said, oh, Emilio Estevez, he was my favorite in the Rat Pack. And I said, well, he's like, almost middle-aged now. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah. He's got a family and, you know, and he's moved on. And he's so about the, to be a grandpa. Oh my God. I don't, <laughs> I think that would just shock her. I will share that with her. <laughs> so at this stage in his life, and, and it's a sweet film. Do you want to talk about that since it's out now? Yeah, I'd love to because Emilio has become a dear friend of Film Cincinnati, as well as my family. My husband and I have gotten to know him over the last 15 years. And now he's become an ambassador for Cincinnati, which I think is also awesome. But I knew him for a long time, and he was actually the first phone call that I received as my position as the executive director in this organization back in 2002. And he said, Kristen, I have this project, and it's about harness racing. I'm wondering if you can send me some files. And I remember saving the message going, wow, this executive director position is exciting. These stars just call me directly. And we stayed in touch for quite a long time. And one of the things that came out of that was that harness racing movie actually never got made because the state of gambling in the state of Ohio changed dramatically, and more racinos were being built and harness tracks were being incorporated into bigger venues. And I said to him, you might want to wait that out. And if you are, I'm, I will still be here when you decide to make that. But is there anything else in your slate of films that I could read that I could see if would work in Cincinnati? And he shared several scripts with me. And I'm convinced I can do all of them here, of course. But one of the ones that really resonated with me was the public because it was currently written for Los Angeles. And it's about a cold spell that comes into the community and the homeless people don't want to be on the streets because it's too cold to be outside. So they take over the public library and sort of occupy it, if you will, as a way to stay warm. And I said to Emilio right after reading it, I said, it's far more palpable to me that that would happen in the Midwest as opposed to Los Angeles. And he said, well, it's funny you should say that because I recently had a meeting with the Los Angeles County Library. And I had spent a lot of time there when I was developing the script, so I finally had the meeting with them to sit down about making the film there. And I was told very quickly that they were not interested in having a production back in the LA County Library because they had hosted a big production that had all these lights and heat lights, and they got too hot and too close to the sprinkler system, set off the alarms, and and the sprinkler systems were set off, and their library was there all wet and ridiculous. Flooded. And Emilio's reaction was, what a bunch of idiots. Who are these amateurs? And the LA County Library said back to them, well, it was a show called The West Wing. Oh, my. And <laughs> that's where we got a huge kick out of it. His own father's show had ruined his chances to shoot. So he said, I'm open to exploring other cities for this because I don't think I'll be able to make it in LA. And I said, just 
just come spend time in Cincinnati. Spend some time with me in the library. And if you'll see what I see, I think you'll see that this library would be a perfect backdrop. It's enormous. It's got a lot of colorful areas and maker spaces and teen spaces and children's spaces. And it's just got a lot of opportunity. And it's large enough that when you're talking about film production, particularly a film about the public library, where you don't want to keep people from their access to information, right? So we don't want to film during the day and close the library and keep people from their space. And I said, this library is big enough that might allow us to maneuver around, but also might entertain allowing us to film at night when they're actually closed. And through many conversations with them and coordinating a lot of local effort, including police and fire and the board of the public library and a lot of people, we were able to get that cooperation. And so he rewrote that script for Cincinnati. And Listen to the flexibility, listeners. <laughs> you know, that it didn't start off the way it ended. And while well, it's still going on because it's still showing, but yes. Well, and it's what's remarkable to me is that people are in Cincinnati are saying, wow, we had a homeless person die from the cold. We've had people fight over the library space and should we be developing the spaces that aren't used? And it was sort of playing out right before our very eyes and this script had been written 12, 12 years. years prior. Right. And it was just sort of timely in that way. And I think he touched on many things in that film, not just about homelessness, but about fake news and about many socially conscious things that we're all discussing today. And it was a wonderful project because he really trusted Cincinnati. He gave back and he wanted to put those morsels like over the Rhine, like La Rosa's. He wanted it to be a love letter to Cincinnati and say, I appreciate being here as well. And for those people that are saying, well, is he highlighting the homeless epidemic? Well, the epidemic is worldwide and it's just talking about one city, but I think you can walk into most any, or most any library and see a similar culture or community, so. Well, I walk into my library in New York now with a whole different look, <laughs> and it's right across the street from me, so it has changed my perception of the library and librarians and what their jobs and their roles are, so we found it to be just a really enjoyable movie, and I've been pitching it to my friends both in New York and in Cincinnati. And I think people so. are surprised, I think, when they hear it's a film about homelessness. You never want to go to the theater in your free time to be educated, but I think what people are pleased about after seeing is that they realized they were entertained more than anything and they might leave with a little more compassion for people they pass on the street or for their public library or they might even go get their library card but more than anything I think they'll have a moment where they laugh and spend some time in the theater. That's great. And it's very entertaining. It does not make you feel bad. You walk out feeling good, and it's very clever. Okay, this has been such a, a wonderful discussion. I've enjoyed it, and I've learned a lot, and I hope our listeners have as well. Is there anything that you want to share with us and make sure that you send us on our way that we really understand why this is so important as a leadership lesson for our listeners? Well, I think anytime you're running a nonprofit, you want to make sure that you are doing what you say you're doing and that you're achieving your mission on a regular basis. And for Film Cincinnati, I think we're not only accomplishing that, but we are treading new waters and we are becoming pioneers for our community to see what's possible. And I don't think we're ever going to sort of say we've achieved it, we're done, we're here. I think we're constantly evolving and growing. And I find that as long as you surround yourself with people that also want to do the same and that you can learn from 
and get a different perspective from and understand that that change is not a bad thing, but that growth is necessary and just absolutely one of the things that will continue to make us better leaders. And for Film Cincinnati, I wake up every day thinking this is just the beginning. I find every day challenging and exciting. And, you know, I'm a lucky person that feels that way about my job and about my passion. And if I can share that with other people and make them find something that also resonates with them similarly or share my experience, I'm happy to do so. And I just can't wait to see what films here next. I'm excited. The future is yet to come. And I know a few things that are on the horizon, and I've never been more excited. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited. And the lesson of getting, being able to get up and be excited about what you do every day and create the kind of culture that you've created, not only with your immediate work group, but also the larger work group that you get and the people that are visiting here and the impact on the community is really so important. And thank you for that. And thank you for coming to talk to us. Thank you for thinking of me. I'm so happy to be here. Right. So thank you, Kristen Schlottman. And this is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I hope that our listeners have picked up some fun and interesting perspective on how to not only just do film in Cincinnati, but also to lead an organization going through a lot of change and to make it something that people want to support. So this is Jessica Barron. I will look forward to speaking to you with other really talented leaders going forward. Sometimes it's the little things that make a big difference. A post-it note and two minutes can make a huge difference in your workday. Find out more at talentmagnetinstitute.com slash post it. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes... Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.